0: Locked Talk Radio. <laughs> This is your host, Sarah Utoff, and today on Trundle Bed Tales Radio, we're going to be talking about Laura Ingalls Wilder and Thanksgiving, and I think it'll be an interesting show today. I hope you enjoy it. A lot of this is going to be based on... The program that I did for a number of years for the Johnson County Historical Society, which was Laura Ingalls Wilder and Thanksgiving, which, of course, had a big hands-on component, so uh, we can't do that part today, but I'm going to be giving you a lot of the information I gave them. I also want to recommend a book, and it is called Giving Thanks. And Thanksgiving recipes and history from Pilgrims to Pumpkin Pie by Kathleen Curtin and Sandra Oliver, in cooperation with the Plymouth Plantation, uh, which is a living history site where the uh, pil- where the um, people of Plymouth. I'm trying not to say pilgrim because there's actually an interesting article in here about how they didn't call themselves pilgrims. Uh, um, where they set up their first town and it really is a great place to visit Uh, one of my very favorite foodies people works there who I've mentioned recently on Facebook Kathleen Wall and probably another one of my very favorite historic foodways people is the co-author of this book Sandra Oliver and I'm really hoping that I can get her on for an interview for next November's uh, show But in the meantime, we're just going to kind of talk about Thanksgiving and Laura, and I hope you enjoy it. First off, though, we've got just a little housekeeping to do. And uh, first off, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, the line here is Five two five three. That's seven one four two four two five two five three or toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And if you are listening to this live or in the next few days here, I want to encourage you to listen to my December update. It ends up that there are three Laura Ingalls Wilder sites with Christmas events this year, and I want to make sure I get a plug to them. And I actually have a December program scheduled this year, which I usually don't do, but uh, it's a local group asked me at the last minute, and I said, okay. So I've got uh, that coming up, too. During December, we are going to have uh, two of these half-hour episodes instead of an interview, Uh, just because with December and everybody being busy, I think it's going to work out better that way. So next time, the regular episode is going to be where were they buried, and we're going to talk about the basics of cemeteries and where you can find some Laura people and how to take a picture and I think some interesting things. And the follow-up for that, in the second half of the month, we're going to do a, a half hour like we did for our very first episode. It's almost been a year that we've been doing this, and that will be summing up Laura Fandom for 2011, and that is really looking good, so I hope that you will tune in again for those. and. Uh, Hopefully, by then, we will be over 6,000 listens because we were four away when I checked this morning. In fact, we may even be over by that now. So, uh, I think for the time being, though, that wraps up our housekeeping. And it's time to get back to Thanksgiving. Well, first off, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, We're coming to you here on Black Friday. And we're going to be talking a little bit about various Thanksgiving traditions. And it's really easy for people to kind of get in their heads, uh, Thanksgiving is such a traditional holiday that it's easy to think that it's always been done a certain way. And that seems to be especially prevalent for Thanksgiving. But that usually isn't the case. For instance, I'm sure that most of my younger cousins view having a deep fat fried turkey as part of the Thanksgiving tradition because my brother has been doing them since his best friend in college taught him how to do it and they were all younger than him so I think it's probably as far as they can remember something that's always happened but it's a relatively new phenomenon actually at least around this area. So. It's kind of good to stop and think what exactly are the traditions of Thanksgiving and where did they come from? Now traditionally people look at first Thanksgiving being a three day celebration through the local Native American tribe and the people of Plymouth in 1621 there is one eyewitness account to this and it is in a letter that was written some years afterwards and what it describes is a 3-day event and it uh for food it only describes having waterfowl which is what here we go uh let's see um that some of the people had gone out, they they four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside served the company almost a week, at which much time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming among us, and among the rest their king, Masoset, with some 90 men, whom for 30 days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed upon our governor and upon the captain and others. So, that is what they're basing all that remembrance of the 1621 Thanksgiving for. Now, if you'd ask the participants, they uh, would not have said that it was the first Thanksgiving because it was sort of a harvest celebration, and harvest celebrations have been going on for centuries. They also wouldn't have called it Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving had a very specific meaning then that actually had to do with fasting and giving thanks through prayer for um, various things, a good harvest, a uh, victory in, in war, that kind of thing. So they themselves wouldn't have called it that. And it seems to have just sort of dropped off the map. It wasn't anything that was talked about. People weren't going, oh, yeah, let's do it again next year. It just was sort of an event, and it passed. But then in eight, ancient- was doing research and came I'm sorry about that. We should be back connected now. Uh, back in 1841, Alexander Young had published the book, Chronicles of the Pilgrim's Forefathers, where he found that letter that I read you just a little bit about before. Uh, in a footnote, Young added, from having quoted this letter, that this was the first Thanksgiving and even speculated on the menu Uh, using the mention of fowl to assume that they had turkey, which was a pretty reasonable thing as far as he was concerned because he was from New England, and in 1841, they were eating a lot of turkey. So that kind of picture of this being the first event, of it being an annual event of the Native Americans and, and the pilgrims sitting down together uh, at one big table for one big meal, comes back to this book, Chronicles of the Pilgrim Forefathers, and uh, basically based on rather little scanty evidence, but that's why we think of the, the first Thanksgiving as we do today. Now, they continued to have Thanksgivings that weren't official. Slowly the meaning went from the, that day of fasting and prayer into sort of the Harvest Home tradition and those harvest festivals of of a lot of food got to be called Thanksgivings and uh, it was very popular in New England more than in other areas of the country and kind of traveled west with New England settlers everywhere the people of New England went they established this tradition of at some time during the fall having what they called a Thanksgiving now These weren't official holidays, they weren't on any specific date, and wouldn't move from year to year. But a woman from New Hampshire, Sarah Josepha Buell-Hale, was the editor of Goody's Ladies' Book, the same one that Ma would later read, and between 1847 and 1863, she did everything she could to campaign for making Thanksgiving a national holiday, an official national holiday across the board that would be celebrated every year across the country. She felt that this was important because it would be a coming together of the country. And in 1863, she got a hold of Abraham Lincoln, who was then president, and said, this will be a good thing, this will make the country come together let's make it official, and he agreed, and in 1863, we have the first official Thanksgiving, the first official national Thanksgiving. Uh, However, It was only by presidential proclamation. And in 1863, you will note the Civil War was still going on. And for many years, even after the war, the South resisted having Thanksgiving, at least on the day that the official holiday was, because they felt it was being put upon them by Lincoln and all these New Englanders who were rejecting their way of life. So Thanksgiving was slower to catch on in the South, especially on the official day. They continued to have, um, you know, sort of fall festivals, but they weren't officially Thanksgiving, and I imagine they went out of their way not to celebrate on the official day. However, all this time, Thanksgiving was only declared annually by the president. It was not a firm fixed official holiday. Each year, the president had to name it. They all named it on the last Thursday in November. Which brings us up to a little uh, political fuss about Thanksgiving, which was in 1939, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who um, just ignored tradition to do whatever he wanted on a number of things, listened to retailers who told him that that fourth Thursday made the Christmas shopping uh, season too short and moved it Thanksgiving for three years to the Third, Thursday. Uh, That was between 1939 and 1941. In 1941, this has been a huge thing with a bunch of people trying to celebrate on the real Thanksgiving, the fourth Thursday, and other people following uh, Roosevelt's suggestion and doing it on the third, and then some people doing it both, and it was just a mess. In fact, there's a little joke about this. If you ever watched the movie Holiday Inn, which came out about this time. When they're showing all the other holidays, they show a calendar. When they show Thanksgiving, they've got a little turkey who's chasing around where it says Thanksgiving as it moves back and forth between the third and fourth uh, Thursday. It's pretty funny once you know the story behind it. So... In 1941, after everybody's really upset and mad about this, Roosevelt capitulates and says, okay, and Congress puts through a law. And and from 1941 on, Thanksgiving was legally the last Thursday in November, which brings us on to how Laura celebrated Thanksgiving. Now, uh, that date that the first official Thanksgiving, 1863, you'll note, is just four years before Laura was born. So even when they're celebrating on the banks of Home Creek, Thanksgiving hasn't been an official holiday for very long. However, they're already uh, talking about it in the, the books and making references back to that first, in quotes, Thanksgiving in 1621. And Laura describes Thanksgiving most fully in On the Banks of Plum Creek, where she talks about the parched corn. Now, if this was the program that I mentioned before, I would actually have some parched corn, which is basically just dried corn. They probably would have just uh, dried the ears by hanging them up. They could have, of course, Uh, taking them off the cob first and dried it, as Laura describes driving the plums in that same chapter. When we make it, we just use the dehydrator. Uh, I'd let you have some if you were here, but since we're just over the radio, I'm just going to talk about it. And what you actually find, if you aren't going into On the Banks of Plum Creek, you find something called the Legend of the Five Kernels. And the first winter the pilgrims spent in their new home was very hard. Some days they had only enough food for each person to have five kernels of corn, or so the legend goes. From then on, when a time of Thanksgiving came around, the pilgrims put five kernels of corn on each plate and used them to remind themselves of their blessings. Let's also remember our blessings and... um, As you eat your five kernels of corn, remember what you are thankful for. The first kernel reminds us of autumn beauty. The second kernel reminds us of our love for each other. The third kernel reminds us of God's love and care for us. The fourth kernel reminds us of our friends. And the fifth kernel reminds us we are a free people. And that is the legend of the five kernels as it was passed around uh, the Teaching list serves in 1997, and I think that was the way it came through a lot of people's traditions. Laura's actually talks about uh, three grains, not five, and I'm kind of wondering if it was either uh, a typo where the three was changed to five, or the three to five was changed in her memory, or if maybe she was thinking of when they planted the corn and it was, you know, one for one predator, one for another, and then the last one was just left one to grow. But in in any case, it was just listed as three grains. Now, Nancy Cleveland on the Laura Listserv in 2003 uh, talks about her research in it, and she mentions that she had not seen it in any of the other existing manuscripts or Pioneer Girl when she looked for it, and in response, the person who probably seems to care the most about this issue, a woman named Lucy Atkinson, talked about her her research. And so she looked in uh, to what measurements were at the time of the pilgrims. And so she looked and found out that one measurement is uh, one grain, uh, which was 64 I'm just going to round up 65 milligrams uh with 7000 grains equaling a pound 16 grains equals 1 gram which is not the same as a metric gram uh but that was another option that she thought maybe had somewhere along the line gotten switched that they had read that the the Pilgrims had uh 5 grains or Maybe five grams, even, which is a lot more food than the individual kernels themselves. But not, no longer using that measurement, they kind of translated it another way. Like uh, in the Gettysburg Address, when we talk, Lincoln talks about scores of years, but people don't necessarily know what a score is. So you could easily translate that into meaning something else, or. Um, people don't talk about rods very often anymore or cords of wood and um, there's an episode or a, a scene for instance in the Pride and Prejudice multi-part Colin Firth version of Pride and Prejudice that has a scene where they're making a joke that the words are right out of the book but the And Jane Austen was using the word closet in a different sense than we use it today. And so the visual joke really makes sense to modern people. People at the time would have thought it was crazy because that's clearly not what Jane Austen meant. So it's easy to have things like that happen. I'm thinking probably they weren't talking about five kernels and that somewhere along the line, either in Laura's mind or in typesetting or something, this this three got worked in there. Now, I'm going to be talking a little bit then about the things that, that we have to eat, and one of which is turkeys. Now, turkeys were not specifically mentioned at the first Thanksgiving from that little thing that we uh, had, the letter, but they did say fowl, wild fowl, and turkeys were very popular. In fact, within a few years, uh, they would be hunted pretty much to extinction in New England because they were so glad to have turkeys. Turkeys had long been a celebratory food in English history because uh, in the previous century, turkeys had come to England via Spain, and uh people would use them, especially at Christmas, and that, so people would had strong positive associations with the turkey. Uh, and when they started to reinvent the first Thanksgiving, uh, bread turkeys were common, and uh, that was when it sort of became the official Thanksgiving main meat. Um, and while we're mentioning turkeys again, Uh, The presidential pardon of the turkey started in 1947. At least that's when they started presenting the turkey. Now, uh, it didn't become quite as big a deal when he uh, started getting an official pardon was in 1989 under President George uh, Herbert Walker Bush. And today, they choose the turkeys in August, and then they train them for six months so they don't mess up during the ceremony And then they spend the rest of their life at a petting zoo. Now, the turkeys as we know them, for the most part, are not what the pilgrims would have thought of as wild turkeys. The uh, people who reinvented Thanksgiving in 1841 thought of as turkeys. Or even... The, what Laura would have thought is turkeys, but that Pa was out and shooting them. Because the breed is we have turkey today, for the past 50 years, there's been mostly one particular breed of turkey, the broad-breasted large white, which has completely dominated the marketplace. These turkeys are bred for their plentiful white meat, making them irresistible to white meat-loving Americans. All large-scale turkey farmers raise this variety, and management practices have been built around them. For instance, they cannot actually, as they have been bred up, cannot breed themselves without man's interference because the breasts are so big they cannot mount the female hens properly. So uh, these are not what uh, Laura describes. There are other breeds of turkeys, though, for example, the bourbon red, the American bronze, and the Jersey buff, which are in danger of disappearing, but you can still find them at places stocked by the American Livestock Breeds Conservatory, and various slow food groups have begun promoting their use. Wild turkeys, which are the ones that they would have been familiar with, are smaller, gainier, and a bit tougher than domestic turkeys but are delicious in their own right. And the other thing that we often think of as being a mainstay of the Thanksgiving table is the green bean casserole. And Laura didn't make it uh, in time to see that. Uh, It wasn't actually invented until 1955, and I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been added to her Thanksgiving menu in those last couple of years. And all of that information about food stuff is, again, out of giving thanks. And if you're interested in how any of the individual foods that we eat today came about, I strongly recommend you get this book. It is just full of interesting stories like that. Now, Laura, when she was talking about Thanksgiving in her columns, often uh, promoted the idea of Family And giving thanks and being grateful for what she had in one column, she actually used the story that she would later use uh, in by the shores of Silver Lake when you 're talking about Thanksgiving. Uh, this was originally published on November twentieth nineteen sixteen and Laura describes the setup about them being in the surveyor's house, and they were excited because a late uh, flock of wild geese were hurrying south, and Pa went out to get them, and they were all excited because they were going to have a roast goose for Thanksgiving dinner. "'Roast goose and dressing seasoned with sage,' said Mary. "'No, not sage. I don't like sage, and we won't have it in the dressing,' I exclaimed. "'Then we quarreled, Sister Mary and I, and she insisting that there should be sage in the dressing, "'and I declaring there should not be sage in the dressing, until Father returned without the goose. "'I remember saying in a meek voice to Sister Mary, "'I wish I had let you have the sage.'" And to this day, when I think of it, I feel again just as I felt then and realize how thankful I would have been for roast goose and dressing with sage seasoning, with or without any seasoning. I could even have gotten along without the dressing. Just plain goose roasted would have been plenty good enough. This little happening has helped me to be properly thankful, though at times the seasoning of my blessings has not been just such as I would have chosen. And... She goes on to talk about a few things about uh, people who weren't grateful. They were talking about the price of flour and complaining about that when she says there were times when they couldn't get any. And another one uh, where she read a story where the mother sent a little boy out around a block to look for something to be thankful. And one would think that the fact of his being able to walk around the block and that he had a mother to send him would have been sufficient cause for thankfulness and then goes on to talk about how she'd had trouble with her feet, and that had taught her why healthy feet were a definite thing to be thankful for. I really like that uh, particular column from As a Farm Woman Thinks, and I really think it is a good reminder to be thankful. Another year, one that came out in November first, nineteen twenty three. Laura's talking about Thanksgiving. We are inclined to think of Thanksgiving Day as a strictly American institution and so it is to date in, in the manner of celebrating, but a harvest feast with the giving of praise and thanks to whatever gods were worshipped is a custom much older than our thanksgiving, and that has been and still is observed by most races and peoples. It seems to be instinctive for the human race to give thanks to for benefits bestowed by a higher power. Some have worshipped the sun as the originator of blessings through its light and heat, while others have bowed on knee to lesser objects. Still, the feelings of gratitude in their hearts has been the same as we feel towards the beneficent providence who has given us the harvest as well as countless other blessings through the year. This is just another touch that makes the whole world kin and links the present with the far distant past. Mankind is not following a blind trail. Feet were set upon the true path in the beginning. Following it at first by instinct, men stumbled along from it in the darkness of ignorance, even as we do today, for we have much to learn. But even more than for material blessings, let us, with humble hearts, give thanks to the revelation to us and our better understanding of the greatness and goodness of God. Mrs. A.J. Wilder. And the final thing I wanted to share with you today is from the book Dear Laura, where they publish a letter from Wewaka, Oklahoma, and an entire class wrote Laura in November 23, 1949. Dear Laura, we are telling the things we are thankful for, and we want you to know that all our boys and girls are very thankful for your books and love you for writing them for us, your friends, and then they list all the names of the children in the class. But I wanted to end on that note because I think all Laura fans can remember that. We are thankful for Laura writing her books and the love, and love her for writing them and sharing them with us. And I think it's a good thing to remember today to be thankful and to think of all the good that has come from this one little woman writing these stories that she thought were too good to be lost. So think of a way that you can pass on the love for the stories today and remember to be grateful for all the blessings in our lives. Happy Thanksgiving from everybody out there, to everybody out there from us here at Bed Tales. Thank you very much.